Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heaven help you if you, in an NL-only league, you had multiple hitting injuries. Yeah, I was only partially aware that Lyle Overbay was still alive. Good evening and welcome to episode 23 of Flags Fly Forever, baseball prospectus fantasy podcast. I am your host, Brett Sayer, and with me is Mike Ginella and Mauricio Rubio. How are you guys? Uh, how are you guys doing on uh, yet again another Monday evening? I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to the weekend right now. I can I can honestly say that. Yes, this is our this is our last show before uh, before we all get to uh, hang out in uh, D.C. over the weekend. So, yeah, I, and I, I think it literally means all of us. There are going to be 14 VP people officially at the event, and I think there's going to be a few more there unofficially. So if, if, you, if there are still tickets, the BP event is closed, but if there's still tickets available to the Nationals game and you've dreamed of meeting one of us, then you know, buy a ticket and find us. I would question your dreams, though. I, I would, too, but, you know. Well, it depends. If you dreamed of meeting Mal, I, I get it. <laughs> You're making me blush. <laughs> If you've dreamed of meeting Craig, on the other hand, then yes, I, I would definitely question your dreams. Now, let me let me just say this: uh, everybody is extraordinarily lucky that these are not video podcasts. No, I'm just uh, just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> so you're saying I get airbrushed for nothing? Hey, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess I can take that out of the budget then, huh? I, I always like in the winter when I have like a robe or a blanket on and I'm huddled up and I always think that, man, if a camera on, I would look like so crazed. So we have a fun show for you again today. Uh, we are going to do the final installment of our series that we've been, uh, that we've been discussing over the past couple of weeks. And we're going to talk about starting pitchers who have 
uh, changed their their valuations since the beginning of the season, both positively and negatively. Uh, we're we're not going to bother with relievers because we talk about relievers enough, and uh, it's just not it's just not a worthy topic for the podcast. If you want to know what's going on with relievers, read Mao's column. It's good. It tells you what you need to know. Um, and uh, we are going to have a couple of other uh, discussions first. You can find all of us at BaseballProspectus.com. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter. I am at DynastyGuru. Mike is at Mike Gianella. That's G-I-A-N-E-L-L-A. And Mao is at MRubio52. Uh, you can reach us, uh, the collective us of this podcast, at Flags Fly Forever at BaseballProspectus.com. And if you are listening to us on iTunes, please rate and review us. So that is all to start the show. And now, as always, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mike, and we are going to discuss this week's goings-on in, in labor, which, uh, which we'll, we'll cover from a, from a free agency standpoint, but it will also lead into a larger conversation because, as, as you know, we've been uh, sort of on the fence about what to do with our pitching staff, and, and this week we, we finally decided to take a step in, in one direction. So uh, I will throw it to Mike to kick off this topic. Well, unfortunately, overall in, in labor, we're we're kind of going in the wrong direction, and we've been going in the wrong direction the last couple of weeks. There was a point about a, a four weeks into the season, maybe five weeks, where we were flying high. We were in first place, I think, for a day or half a day. But yeah, we were top two, top three. Now we're down to a. a as I am talking, we're we're in a tie for seventh, and I think we're about. You know, if I do my math here or my maths here correctly, we're 39 points out overall. It's a 15-team league, so it's not completely insurmountable, but it's a big hill to climb. And a big part of the problem, and we've had this problem all year, is is with our pitching. Uh, for a while, we were doing very well or well enough in in ERA and WHIP, and kind of middle of the pack in strikeouts and getting wins. Uh, of late, we've been still been getting the wins. We're, we're tied for second, but the lack of quality pitchers, uh, losing our ace tragically, uh, Jose Fernandez, uh, losing Alex Cobb for a while, and then having him come back his first couple starts, he, he was a little rusty. Uh, we're basically now at the point in the area and whip where we're not at the bottom, but we're kind of heading in that direction. So Brent and I talked, and the decision we made, which, which I agreed with, was we have to, or we had to kind of load up on starters. And we kind of decided since the starters available in a 15 team mix aren't really good. And we'll kind of get to this in a second based on the rules and labor. There's one promising starter who is available and others will come through. We kind of decided for this week to put some cheapo bids on the guys we wanted. So the guys we got, I believe we got all the guys that we bid on bread, if I'm correct. Yeah, we got it. We, we had, you know, the one upside of having so many injured players is that you never have to worry about having enough roster spots. So we had three open roster spots this week, and uh, we filled them all with our first three choices for a total of $4. Of yeah. yeah, we got Kyle Gibson for two. We got John Danks, which was uncontested. We got John Danks for one. There were two other teams ahead of us who bid one. And we got Jeremy Guthrie uncontested for one. 
we did have some backup bids, um, but no, those were also, no one even touched those guys. Uh, the backup bids were Hector Santiago, Julius Shaquin, and Nick Tepish. Um, what's funny, I think at one point we had Jacob Turner as, as a backup, but you know, it looks like he's not going to be in the rotation now, so it's a good thing it didn't come to that. So that's the plan. I, I mean, the plan for us pretty much at this point is going to be from week to week. It's, it's nine pitchers in the active staff. Uh, we're going to roll Dellen Batances out there because he's a monster uh, with everything he does. And even if he never picks up a save, not that that's another category we're dead in for those who've been listening, but even if he never picks up a save, he's immensely valuable in pretty much every format except maybe 18 mixed. Uh, I think otherwise we're going to roll seven or eight starters out there every week. ERA and whip be damned. And we're going to try to amass as many strikeouts and wins as possible. Is, is that pretty much the strategy at this point, Brett? That's exactly it. We, we are not going to come across a two-start starter that we do not like the rest of the no. season. Something, something interesting I noticed. You know, we, we talk about this in mastersball.com. There's a column that kind of has their take in each labor and Tower Wars league on the, you know, on the fab. Todd Zola of Masters Ball, who is in you know his entry is in last place there. And when you're an expert league and it's a non carryover, and I've been in this position before, unfortunately, you know you're not going to win, but you also nobody wants to finish in last in an expert league. It doesn't get remembered as well as first, but. If you're competitive like I am, you want to try to finish as high as you can. Finishing 10th with your head held high as opposed to finishing 15th is a big difference. So Todd is doing the same thing that we are, Brad. Uh, he's decided to punt ERA and whip, in his words, the rest of the way and use the free agent pool to keep the supply of not-so-good starting pitchers plush. <laughs> so Todd went out there and kind of had some of the same plays or, or some of the same ideas on his end. Now, what was funny is that, you know, he's kind of looking at, he's kind of looking at some of the guys that he got. And actually what's really weird about this is I don't see on the master's ball side, the only guy that he got was Steven Voigt at a buck. So I'm not really sure what he's talking about in terms of his strategy. But if he is going down that road the rest of the way, it is interesting to see that that's what he's doing because it kind of gives us some cushion, in my opinion, in those categories to kind of play around a little bit. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, we, we, have, you know, we, we have a little bit of a cushion to play with. Yeah. Um, just based on where we are and where some of the teams are. I mean, we are, our ERA is three, seven, six, and there are uh, two teams that are above four. That's correct. And you know, one of them is a four, two, five. And so at, at this point, what, what, what's the end game for your team right now? I mean, you, you guys have been ridiculously ravaged by injury. Like I've been listening to this for uh, yeah. like a couple of weeks now, man, you guys have been killed injury wise. What, Wait, what what are you trying to do, and what's the overarching goal of the team now at this point? To win the league, we want to win. Although I, I think it's it's going to be difficult, and I, I think some of the problem is you know we we've talked we haven't talked much about our offense, 
some of the problem that we have is that as great as the top of our offense has been, you know, with Giancarlo Stanton, who, you know, he hit a home run tonight. Well, we're, we're talking on Monday for our listeners. If you saw Stanton's home run on Monday night, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was a, a line drive laser uh, short of the likes of that you've never seen. And I'm not exaggerating. If you haven't seen the home run, do yourself a favor. But on the top end, we've got him, we've got Pujols, we've got Hanley, We've got some. We've got Billy Hamilton, who has been tremendous and has started popping home runs now. <laughs> but on the back end, we we have some guys that we kind of need to produce, and we have faith in these guys. But we're now in the middle of June, and and Joe Maurer has really really done nothing. You know, we're in the middle of June, and Jed Lowry has been really disappointing. Um, we're kind of sucking along with John Jay as our our fifth outfielder. Will Venable, yeah, he's hit a home run and, and stolen a base as we've talked about him last. You know, without going through the entire offense, we need some of these guys to provide, they don't need to be studs, but need to provide mid-level production. So, Matt, to answer your question, what we're kind of hoping for is we're hoping our hitting improves a little bit to the point where if some of these bottom-level guys we mentioned can produce enough to go along with the top-level production that we move up there, on the pitching side, I think what we're hoping for is to maintain an ERA whip with the pitchers we have, say get six points, each in ERA and whip, try to move up and strike out as much as we can, try to maintain and get a little bit better in wins. Because the reality is you can't play a seven-category game and win. So if we, we sink to the bottom of the ERA and whip, we know we won't win. We kind of have to maintain their gain in strikeouts and gain in offense. I, I think that's the path to victory. I don't think it's a great path because of the injuries, but I agree with Brett and I think that the path still exists in the middle of June. We're not even halfway through the season yet. Yeah. I, I think we can realistically looking at the standings, I think we can win wins and strikeouts. I would agree. By the end of the season. I mean we're only uh if I'm look calculating this correctly, we're only forty six or forty seven strikeouts from first place and we're right. in tenth place in strikeouts. So if we just keep rolling starters after starters out, we, we even with not-so-great starters, we should be able to make up that difference over the course of the season. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the interesting thing about mixed leagues, too, that I, I think people sometimes lose sight of. It, it's And this is a 12-team mix, but it's kind of easier to make those jumps than in an only league. In an only league, sometimes you can be 10 or 15 home runs, for example, behind somebody in a category – and depending on the players you have and the players the person ahead of you has, that could be a mammoth gap. In a mixed league, you can have a 15-home run gap, and depending on your personnel, that could be nothing. You, you could make that up in no time. So I, I think that's a large part of it, you know, except for, for saves, which I already mentioned, where you know we have zero, and the <laughs> next team has 14. We're not even going to bother in saves. You know, there have been some low-end guys. Like, I think this week, Jake McGee and Neil Ramirez both went for kind of nominal bids. We didn't even bother. Like, we're just not going to waste our time chasing those guys. It doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, Brett, Brett's right. I mean, there, there's some places for us to move up. And I think on the pitching side, that's the hope. We're, I wouldn't say we're throwing a Hail Mary. I mean, I'd kind of look at it more on the pitching side. Like, we're down, like, 10 points, and it's the middle of the fourth quarter. Like, we can we can get there in pitching, but it's – it's, and I hate mixing my sports metaphors, and I just did it. But we can get there in pitching, but it's not going to necessarily be the easiest path. 
And that's 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 why you pick up John Dink, so Yeah. <laughs> but you no, know, again, you know, and, and this is the that's... we have six reserve slots. Like, for example, this week, and if it, if I had my druthers, I know Brett loves them, you know, we have Edwin Jackson on reserve, yeah. Carlos Martinez on reserve, we have Rafael Montero on reserve, who we're gonna get rid of after this week. And we've got all of those injured pitchers, and, and some of them at some point are going to be back. I think Miguel Gonzalez is actually going to be back tomorrow. Yeah, if we didn't get all the guys that we wanted, I think we would have activated Gonzalez this week. Plugged him in. Yeah, so I think the, the plan really is to kind of plug and play with some of those slots. You know, uh, Trevor Plouffe just went on the DL, so we'll probably use that. T- and he's in our reserve. We'll probably use that slot as well. So, Mal, you know, I, I think what it really is – the hope isn't that we're running John Danks out there every week of the season. The hope is that we're kind of playing these guys, you know, in a way that we can. And, you know, the other thing, too, is if you look at our staff and the guys are actually in there now, I know some of these pitchers, like Mark Burley's the, the poster boy for this. You know, some of these guys are going to regress. But I look at a lot of these guys and I'm kind of like, well, they're pretty, they're actually pretty good. You know, Danny Duffy has been a fine and, and I think he can remain solid. I think Alex Cobb can and should get a little bit better. You know, Jason Hamill is kind of the Mark Burley of the National League. I think he's going to slip a little bit, but I think he should be solid. I kind of look at our staff. It's not. This goes back to Brent's point about Aaron Whip. It's not the best staff, but it's not the worst staff either. No, I mean we have we have some. I I like the starting pitching that we have, and you know it's. Yeah, we we do have Edwin Jackson. I, I I would like the staff more if we had that ace and and kind of when we built the staff, we were like, all right, Jose Fernandez is going to be that guy who even if conservatively, you know, he puts up a two eight or a three and a decent whip and strikes out a lot of guys, he'll still be that ace. And of course, he was so much beyond that that it justified our plan. And when he went down, that was when we had to scramble. I, I think with, with him and the staff we had, I, we have a lot more confidence right now about where we are. And, and, you know, again, Mal, to get back to your can we win, I think that's where it makes it a tough path because our strategy always was kind of Fernandez as the anchor and it gives us some wiggle room for mistakes. Now the wiggle room is basically almost gone, if not gone entirely. Yeah, I mean, I think we can, I think we can get this team back to a 100-point team if we – if we if our offense starts doing what they what they should be doing again and we can you know we reasonably play 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 the matchups reasonably well and start accumulating these stats but the problem is going to be that 100 points isn't going to win us the league so we're going to have to get creative to get those last you know 10 to 15 points yeah and there hasn't really been you know we've tried a couple times we haven't made any trades and it's not from a lack of trying, but we just haven't had a lot of luck on you know in that avenue. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see where uh, we'll see where things go. We're going to uh, likely keep keep picking up starting pitching and uh, and seeing uh, seeing what happens. So you'll uh, you'll continue hearing about it here, and uh, you know we'll, uh, we'll 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 figure it out together. Um, so, uh, now that, now that we, we, we talked about that, I want to, um, I want, I want to let Mike introduce something that, he, that I know he's working on, which I think is going to come out the day that this podcast is released. Um, 
so Mike, why don't you talk about what you're what you're writing about and what you what you've sort of learned from it? Well, well, this is funny because this this is a, a work in progress uh, because my usually my fantasy freestyle comes out on Monday and because of the DC trip, we Brett and I agreed to push this one and the next one back to to Wednesday. So scheduling note for for the people who you know excitedly run the BP website to read me, uh, you'll be seeing me Wednesday at, for at least the next couple weeks. Uh, Yes, thank you for laughing, whatever that was. So anyway, the piece I started working on, and we talked about this, I think, briefly in the last podcast. I, I made a, a trade in Tout Wars where I traded Chris Bryant for a whole bunch of fab. I was going to kind of write about that, write about deadline acquisitions, but I got distracted by looking at the actual results of the best hitters in AL and NL only and the best pitchers in AL and NL only, not in terms of what they cost in fab, what they actually earned. And the thing that jumped out at me incredibly, I'm not going to go through, I actually ran through the last five seasons. I didn't list every hitter, but I just kind of looked at the values. But a couple things jumped out at me. The first thing that jumped out at me, if you're in an NL only this league, and you've probably noticed this, the free agent hitters, are absolutely terrible. Without running through their values, I'm going to run through the top 10 hitters. And when I say free agents, these are deep league guys. These are guys that were not taken for a dollar in CBS, Labor, or Tout. All, and so if, if a guy was taken in one of those leagues, he's not included here, even if he was a free agent of the two. So the top 10 were Josh Harrison, Justin Turner, Bobby Abreu, David Peralta, Tony Sanchez, Lyle Overbay, Brandon Hicks, Ed Lucas, Scott Hairston, and Rene Rivera. Heaven help you if you, in an NL only league, you had multiple hitting injuries. Yeah, I was only partially aware that Lyle Overbay was still alive. I'm not even sure that he is. Those might just be like Tony Sanchez is like that too. You know, Tony Sanchez is in line, but he's, he's the fifth guy on that list. Yeah, that's, that's that's a rough list. Yeah the the AL the ALs the hitters look a little bit better. Um, and if I mispronounce this, you can hit me over the head. There's Jan Gervis Solarte, who we all know you know has pretty much been starting and doing very well. Uh, he's tailed off a little bit, but he's on pace to earn 17, which you know is still really good for a free agent. Uh, there's Juan Francisco, Brock Holt. Uh, then the names after that get a little bit less impressive, but they're still more solid than what you saw in the senior circuit. Daniel Santana, Colin Calgill, Eduardo Escobar, Steve Pierce, James Jones, Sean Rodriguez, and Chris Colabello. Yeah, that's a way better list than the NL. Yeah, I mean, those are guys, you know, Santana's a good example. Santana's an example of a guy who, Probably got picked up at a cheapo fab price. Somebody had an injury and they groaned about it. You know, middle infield, like, ah, I'm picking up this guy. I'm not happy about it. You know, now they're like, ooh, you know, Daniel Santana. Like, I know it's not going to last, but he's good. Those are the kind of guys that you usually expect. And if you swing it back to the the NL for a second, the, the top 10 by earnings, just by raw dollar earnings, the top 10 guys from 2010 to now, year by year, 
one, this is the total, 147, 136, 121, 103. This year, the top 10 earnings, if you blow them up for the full season, 65. <laughs> now, now, some of that's, some of that's going to change because guys are going to come in from the other league, you know, and before the show, Brett was saying some rookies that weren't taken at all are going to come up. It's still going to be a rough number, though. It's still going to be, I suspect it's still going to be lower than we've seen in previous years. Yeah, that's that's a that's a frighteningly low number. What's it? Just out of curiosity, what's the number for the American League? The American League this year is one thirty. Okay, prorated out. That's prorated out. Yeah. Okay. And and actually, that number is slightly higher than any of the last four years. The highest number in the AL was twenty eleven, which is one twenty three. The the AL has actually been pretty constant. The NL has seen a trend where that number has been declining every year. Uh, it leads me to a follow-up question here. Uh, do you do you think this is all? Um, do you think this is all due to the talent level available on free agency as, in a in a vacuum, or do you think do you think we as a fantasy community are getting better at drafting end game and reserve guys? I think it's more of the second thing. Um, I know, for example, and I brought this up on the show before, you know, not just to, you know, talk about how great I am, but just as something that amazed me. My first year in Towers in 2010, I got Giancarlo Stanton for a buck. And that was his first year. You know, he wasn't, um, he wasn't a superstar that year, but I think he earned in the high teens in an only format. And I got him for a buck. And there were a couple other examples of players like that who people would snag for a buck or two who were pretty good. And I think as a result, owners started going, all right, I'm going to adjust. And Chris Liss, back when he was in the NL, it didn't work from last year, but I think he took Billy Hamilton, Oscar Perez, and something else. But that's the plan. Like A lot of people look at those guys like, you know what? I'm going to spend four or five guys on a guy like that. I'd rather do that. And if he flames out, so what? I'll pick somebody up. And the guy I was going to buy for one or two, you know, big deal. That guy was going to just be a stiff like one of the guys I mentioned anyway. So I, I, think, that's, I, I think that's mostly it, Brett. I, I, I do think that there's definitely a move toward just buying those guys in the auction and taking them out of the free agent pool. Now, what I find really interesting about that, and this is kind of a follow-up to your follow-up, if you're in a league where you can't, where you have farm systems and you can't pick up minor leaguers in season or leagues, and these are rare, but I get questions like these, with no farm systems and all the minor leaguers as they come through, you just have to pick them up. You know, it changes, the, it changes this considerably. And we don't have time to talk about this tonight, but I, I think that that changes not only your in-season fab philosophy, but I think it should change your auction philosophy as well. Yeah, I mean, any, anytime where you have uh, anytime where you have that level of additional talent open to you, you need to you need to think about the ramifications of that. And yeah, I, I mean, that is, that is a whole different topic, but it's it's uh, it's definitely you know it's one of those things where you know we talked about it a lot in the preseason. You know, knowing your league format and what you know what your waiver wire looks like should impact your overall strategy and including your strategy on, on draft day. 
So yeah. it's, uh, it's all, it's all connected. Oh, sure. And I, I think that one of the hardest things, you know, I, I don't want to spend, I, I could talk about the pictures here. I don't know how much time we want to spend on this tonight, but I think that what's really interesting about that idea is becoming an, a good player. And, you know, people always ask me, you know, what makes an expert? I think, well, what really makes an expert is being able to holistically think and integrate all of these ideas into the way you play. You know, there's always, you always hear people in your home leagues that, or you see people like this, they're great at auctioning and they, they stink during the season. Or they're great at trading, but they can't, they never put a good auction plan together. And I'm oversimplifying because there's much more to it than those two elements, but that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to integrating all of your thinking and, and trying to you know, make every aspect of your game or maximize it and make it as strong as possible. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't win being good at one part of the game. No, I mean, unless you're in a really easy league. <laughs> that's true. Um. Yeah, so I think uh, we are going to uh, take a break, and then we are going to come back and talk about pitches for a little while. So we will see you shortly. going to talk about pitchers uh so if you've been listening to us the past couple weeks you know the format we're gonna we're gonna go around in a virtual circle and we are going to talk about guys who've changed their values and and what we what we think about them what we expect from them uh so we've been uh i think we've been alternating weeks to who goes first uh do do you guys remember who went first last time i think i might have all right so i really can't remember me neither so, Mike, let's, let's, let's start with you. Um, who's the uh, first guy you want to throw into the ring? Well, you know, I was interested in talking about somebody. I don't even want to say I was wrong about him because I think we all sort of were skeptical. I want to talk about Garrett Richards on the Angels. Um, coming into the season, I think Garrett Richards was a guy that, for all that you know, people looked at him, he threw hard but he never really got results. And I think he was one of those pitchers that we looked and like, yeah, it's almost a cliche. Guys who throw hard don't necessarily succeed in the majors. They might rip their way through the minor leagues. They might struggle a little bit in AAA, which, you know, actually Richards did, although I think relative to the PCL, maybe he didn't struggle. But I think he's a guy we looked at his first, you know, 200 20 or so professional innings and thought, or I'm sorry, major league innings and thought, well, you know, he's just somebody who might wind up in the bullpen or might wind up a, a back end guy, you know, but, but he's somebody this year who, who just kind of put it all together. And I think this is a case where there were some positive reports on him in 
in spring training that if you didn't listen to them, I, I think, and I didn't, you probably should have. So spring training reports on, on Richards were, you know, kind of impressive and had talked about how, you know, he was looking very good. He was looking a little bit sharper than, than he had, you know, in the past. And I think a lot of times we, we look at those spring training reports and we're kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's spring training, who cares? But Richards is just an example of somebody who I think he had some of that earlier professional experience. You know, it's also easy to forget he had kind of bounced around a little bit between the minors and the majors. And, you know, this year so far, he's just really put it all together. And it's not just that he throws hard. He's kind of one of those rare two-pitch pitchers. He's got a fastball and a slider. Uh, he also has a curve. It's a show-me pitch. I, I kind of consider him a two-pitch guy. But he mixes those pitches very effectively. And what's interesting about Rich is I think where his success comes from, he doesn't spend a lot of time in the zone. It's kind of that combination of you know, the slider kind of breaking out of the zone, the fastball. It doesn't have a lot of movement, but it moves around just enough, and he throws it just hard enough that makes him really hard to pick up. You know, the other thing with Richards, when he's home, the park helps him a lot, but I, I think he's legit. I was really reluctant to buy into him for a while, and I think there might be a little bit of slippage, but I think you're looking at a guy who could put up a 3-4, 3-3 the rest of the way easy, you know, with some pretty good strikeout numbers. What do you guys think, Brett? Yeah, I, I I like Richards a lot. I mean, he's, you know, there's sort of been that big group of pitchers this year who were, you know, big velocity guys who didn't really have the, either the development of the arsenal or the development of the, the pitchability to, um, to really make an, to make, make an impact at the major league level. He's one of them. Willie Peralta was another. Uh, Nady Nady Valdi is, is is third. Those are sort of the three that I think about together. But Richards is is definitely taking the biggest step forward of the three, and he's, you know, it, it it's 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 impressive. I mean, you you add the you add the the improved um, the improved command and the. Uh, and the sharpness of the of the breaking ball to what was already a great fastball, and you know add in, add into that a very nice park to pitch in, and you you get um, you get a really a really nice overall um, value package. Uh, he's he's someone who certainly raised his uh, raised his stock both in in redraft and and in keeper leagues. Um, Matt, what about uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're adding strikeouts and, and limiting, you know, still keeping your control in check, that's, you know, that, that, that's going to get you a bump. And just, you know, from from the scouting side, improved command and improved pitchability is one of those things. It's it's very difficult to predict. Um, you know, certain certain guys have it kind of coming up through the minors, and you kind of hear about it. With other guys, it kind of clicks either with, you know, change in pitching coach or just just you know taking instruction a little bit better. Um, but it's, you know, he's got, it seems like, uh, and the numbers are bearing this out. So so the numbers right now are telling us that he's definitely uh, gained an understanding of pitching. And, you know, from, from a fantasy perspective, uh, he's been very good. And I think, uh, you know, the numbers and the peripheral numbers that uh, are, are kind of behind him at this point. 
you know, don't necessarily belie a future that's 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 going to involve implosion. I I think he's going to be able to keep these gains. All right. So who's uh? So who is your guy? Uh, thinkless swingman, uh, Marco Estrada, because I have kind of <laughs> kind of an odd fetish with deep league plays. Uh, I was kind of high on Marco Estrada, about as high as you can be. Uh, he entered the year uh, kind of being. Uh, in in the Brewers rotation, and uh, you you know it's it's not a sexy job that he has, um, you know, kind of bouncing in between the bullpen and the starting rotation, uh, kind of being the guy who's going to soak innings and you know, uh, you know get you the ugly starts. But I thought his stuff was interesting enough to warrant uh, taking a gamble on, and I was sort of anticipating a small step forward this year. Um, you know, there were enough questions about him. Uh, you know, just in terms of command and his profile overall, like whether or not he would be able to throw his curveball for strikes. Um, it's It was a deep league play, but it, it was something that I, I, I had minor confidence in, and he's just been bad this year. Um, you know, bad to the point to where it started kind of a little bit of a Twitter feud <laughs> uh, between a couple of guys. So it's... It, his stock, you know, to me, has just kind of fallen through the, the basement. It's, it's just... He's been one of those disappointing guys. It's not a high-profile disappointment. I mean, I, I, I think we're going to talk about one of those guys in a little bit with probably your guy here, Brett. But um, that's a guy whose stock has just completely dropped off the table for me. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's no secret that I have not I, I have not been a a Marco Estrada supporter. I've I've uh, gotten into my share of discussions with with people who who have been. Um, it's just it's you know I I understand the the FIP argument and all of that and with Estrada it's really an ex FIP argument, um, but you know he's a guy who leaves way too many pitches way too many straight pitches in the middle of the plate and he can't stay healthy and he just it's you know it, it's not a one, it's not a good combination, and and two, that's not a good place for him to be pitching, regardless because of his because of his proclivities. Uh, I mean, what he gave up three more home runs the other day, so he's up to he's allowed twenty seven home runs, I believe, so far this year. Oh, he's he's going to set a record if he keeps this up, man. Which is com- it's it's batshit crazy the amount of home runs that he has given up. You have to try pretty hard to give up that many home runs. You really do. Um, and he has he has twenty three by the way he's not quite that high although he has a start in Colorado this week if he makes it well they they say for now they're sticking with him yeah that that, that is true but it's well I, I think what's crazy is that might be his last start which isn't entirely fair but you can't blame the Brewers for for pulling the plug even if that's the wrong place for him to have to kind of try to prove himself. Yeah. I mean, it'd be different if they didn't have a six starter who was, who was ready to go and, and ready to step in and be a major league contributor right now. So right. yeah, in, in Jimmy Nelson. So yeah, that, that kind of, that kind of is what it is. I, Estrada is, is not a guy I would, I would be looking to uh, sort of reclaim any value on. I think if you, if you have him, he's kind of just dead weight at this point until he until the the plug is uh, is pulled. No, I've uh, 
I've dropped him in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I, I am going to have a negative guy eventually, but I'm going to start with a positive guy. I don't I don't want to I don't want to start on the on the negative side. Uh, Scott Casimir is having you know quite an interesting season. He's you know he, when he when he had his big comeback last year, he had a very strong strikeout rate. He struck out more than a batter an inning. Um, and he, uh, he was able to, you know, kind of put up numbers, not that dissimilar from, from what he put up back in his, in his heyday in Tampa Bay. So he was, you know, high strikeout, relatively high whip. Um, his ERA was, um, was, I think a little masked by some, some, some bad luck, but it was, uh, it was right around four. It probably could have been closer to three and a half. But this year he's turned into a completely different pitcher. Um, he's turned himself into a into a holy trinity guy. He has a walk rate uh, of two per nine innings, uh, and he's lowered his strikeout rate. Uh, he only has um, he only has seventy two strikeouts in eighty eight innings, but his ground ball rate is spiked. His ground ball rate is 50% for the first time in his career. He's not allowing home runs, and his ratios are disgusting. Uh, he's got a 2.05 ERA and a uh, .98 whip, which is not a typo. Uh, this, is, this is a pitcher who, whose career low in whip uh, heading into this season was 1.27. <laughs> so, you know, for all of the... Uh, for all of the good production that Scott Casimir provided way back in the day, Whip was not a uh, was not a point of uh, strength for him. So you know, Oakland has clearly been a, a nice place for him to pitch, and he, he you know he's also clearly not going to maintain this level of production. But he's he's sort of a no he's sort of turned into an, a, a no doubt number two fantasy starter, which you know I I was. As as much as I as much as I wanted to see him succeed uh, last year and this year, uh, I certainly did not anticipate this. So, um, Mike, I know we talked before before the break about just what what those ratios mean for for his earnings. Um, how how valuable has he, he has he been this year? Well, yeah, in an AL only, he's thirty six dollar pace, and he's only behind Masahiro Tanaka and Felix Hernandez. So, you know, that, that's, and he has fewer innings than, than both of them, but Felix by a lot. Uh, you know, I, I do agree, you know, I, I don't think, what's not sustainable is the hit rate. You know, he should give up more hits, particularly because he's not, you know, striking everybody out like he has in the past. But I'm impressed with that walk rate as well, you know, and I, I think that if he can keep that down and is not going to be the guy that is walking like three and a half, four batters per nine, he should still be a twenty twenty five dollar guy the rest of the season, and that's pretty valuable. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, Mike, you want to throw out another guy? Um. Yeah. You know, I I think I'm gonna go with another positive guy of uh, and not be negative. And we kind of talked about him before the the show as well. 
Uh, I think I want to talk a little bit about Colin McHugh. And, you know, he, he's kind of the less obvious candidate to talk about, you know, on the, on the Astros. But the Astros on the whole, it just seems have done a really terrific job of, you know, everybody with the Astros and their recent success, you know, they started out terribly and now they're, you know, they're still not anywhere near the top of the division, but they're having a decent run. Everybody's been talking about their young hitters, and you know, uh, George Springer had that great streak, and they just called up John Singleton, and and he's off to a nice start. But the key to that team's success has really been the pitching. The pitching has been, I think, overall it's about league average. But the last few weeks, it's it's just been incredible, and McHugh's been a large part of that. And you know, what's funny about McHugh is in his first start this year. The first thing everybody noticed is he had about a mile and a half, two miles an hour velocity more in his fastball, you know, than he had previously with the Rockies and, and then before that with the Mets. And they said, Oh, that must be why, you know, he had such a, a good debut and he had twelve strikeouts against I think it was yes, it was the Mariners in late April. But then, you know, what a few of the Astros beat writers noticed and what McHugh talked about is that wasn't so much it. But the fact that he was working more off of his, his curve and his off-speed offerings and kind of really throwing the hitters off balance. You, know, we, you hear a lot more about this with Rays pitchers where James Shields, for example, he struggled for a period with the Rays and they kind of worked on his pitch sequencing and they had him work, you know, they call it backwards sometimes or less traditionally. I think this is kind of what we're seeing with McHugh, and I think it's something interesting to look at with some of the other Astros pitchers. But with McHugh in particular, I think that's the thing to look for with him. You know, if he's kind of working that curve on counts where hitters are expecting a fastball, you know, and throwing the heat in situations where hitters are expecting the curve, I, I think he's going to continue to have success. His, his stuff isn't great, but it, it's certainly even before it was kind of back end of the rotation four or five, I think it's possible that he could exceed that. I don't think he's going to be quite this good, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him kind of be a major league number three from this point out. Um, Mal? Yeah, that strikeout rate took a huge jump, huh? But uh, no, I mean, he's been, he's been excellent. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where I'm still kind of in a wait-and-see pattern. I, he's thrown 59 innings, and he's been very impressive. But, uh, you know, with his adjustments are going to come the readjustments, and I want to see how he deals with that, and I want to see how he readjusts. But uh, he's already banked a lot of value. I certainly have a lot more confidence in him now than I did last year. But, uh, you know, I, I would like to see it uh, the second time around the league first. But uh, that's just me. Uh, Brett? I just – I after – you know, after watching him a good amount with with the Mets, I, this this just I, I still kind of get a bit of a four four error when I see this and when I when I watch him. Um, I mean, I, I get it. I just don't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's a it's a little uh, it, it's you know, God 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 bless him, but. Yeah, I don't. Well, I you know to to Mal's point too. I I do think you know a different example. You know, I remember 
the year that Fernando Rodney went nuts and you know everybody was like, yeah, you know, he's, he's they're moved him to the different side of the rubber. It's having this impact. And then the next year he was still good, but he was not nearly that that lights out Rodney. Yeah. You know, sometimes these adjustments don't necessarily hold, not just because of the hitters catching up, but sometimes the pitcher just doesn't maintain it. So I, I do agree with the broader concept that, you know, McHugh's not a guy who would say, oh, yeah, he's going to keep striking out over a batter in an inning. I just kind of bring him up to say more, you know, if for some reason you're in a 12-team mix and you're reluctant to, say, stream him or, depending on your staff, put him as a back-end guy, I, I think he's worth it the, at the very least considering that. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. Yeah, I don't want to oversell this. I don't want our listeners to think I'm saying McHugh is, is the next big thing. You know, I just think he's kind of an interesting guy to look at. Yeah, he definitely is an interesting guy to look at. Um, Matt, who's your, uh, who's your next guy? Uh, my next guy is the next big thing. That is uh, Dallas Keuchel from the same Houston Astros staff. Um, I mean, I, I say that kind of facetiously, um, but it, it's he's been kind of a statistical darling all throughout this year if you've been kind of paying attention to those storylines uh keichel was a guy last year that um kind of came in with some middling uh, peripheral numbers um not not the greatest hit profile um not necessarily anything that really really inspires any type of confidence now all of a sudden this year he's dropped his era from 515 to 238 uh so far in 90 innings uh, his strikeout rate has jumped a tiny bit to 3%. His walk rate is down uh, from 7.6 to 5.1%. But the thing that I want to concentrate on and, and why I think uh, we're probably going to be in for a little bit of regression is the insanely low line drive rate of 14.8%. Um, generally, it's going to be ridiculously difficult to keep his his LD rate down that low. Um, you know, some of that does have to do with the fact that he's pitching a little bit better and inducing more weak contact, but it's, it's, I just have trouble, uh, you know, believing that his, he's all of a sudden a guy who's, you know, got, got the stuff and got the pitch ability to keep batters at a rate that's under 15 at this point. Um, I, I like Dallas Keiko and I think he's been a very interesting story this year. Um, it, it's not to say that everything has been chalked up to luck, but I, I think Dallas Keuchel fantasy ace is overselling it quite a bit. And I think we're probably going to be in for a little bit of regression, but that being said, he's made a dramatic turnaround from his 2013 season. And I think he's kind of made the case for being a fantasy three fantasy four moving forward, which is a lot better you know it, he's usable at this point and, he, and it's it's teasing at a larger upside uh what do you guys think i uh you know watching keichel he's he's an extraordinarily interesting guy to watch i mean you can you can see the you can see the numbers and and see what he's doing i mean his you guys know i love ground ball rates and his ground ball weight his ground ball rate is is not safe for work it's uh yeah, it's was it? it's sixty sixty five point six percent, which is just completely ludicrous. It's uh, it, it is you know people people get a little excited about whenever they see 
whenever whenever they see ground ball rates this this huge, and the first guy that pops into mind is Brandon Webb, but you know from purely a statistical standpoint, uh, these are the types of ground ball numbers that uh, Brandon Webb did put up when he was when he was elite. Now I, I'm. I'm definitely not saying that Keuchel is is that level of pitcher. Um, although, you know, if you remember Brandon Webb's career, people remember, you know, end of career Brandon Webb. But, you know, sort of beginning to middle of career Brandon Webb was just a, like a pretty good number three starter uh, before, he, before he became like elite elite. Um, so I think, you know... It, it, could he be? Could he be Brandon Webb when Brandon Webb was not Brandon Webb? Maybe, um, but right now he's on pace to have the fifth highest ground ball rate of this century, um, and that is behind that is behind three Derek Lowe seasons and one Brandon Webb season. So it's it's pretty much everyone you would you would expect on this on this leaderboard. But the way Keiko does it, I mean, he, he it's not that his pitches get good movement, but he's just always he's always right at the bottom of the strike zone when you watch him, and it's it's really more about placement than it is about stuff, and that's the kind of profile that gets me. A little less excited long term, just because you know it's it's a lot easier to maintain stuff than it is to maintain you know pinpoint control at the at the bottom of the zone. Um, and maybe he can do it, but there's uh, there's not that many pitchers in uh, in baseball who can who can really maintain a. Uh, Really maintain command to that level over over an extended period of time, and if he starts regressing in that area, he's going to get he's going to get hit relatively hard. He he does allow he does allow home runs, and he, he it's been less of an issue this year, but he he has done that in the past. I think that could sneak back in, but you know the the advancement is certainly real. I think he's I I think he is you know the number. You know, a solid number three, four, fantasy starter in in mixed leagues. I'm, but you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to uh, declare him anything, anything more than that. And I think uh, any anything beyond that is a little, a little, little much for for right now. Yeah, you know, it's something I agree with both you guys, and I think all of us. I might like Keiko a little bit more than you guys do, but I, I definitely think I've, I've heard some people pushing him as an ace and believing most of it, and I'm skeptical. But I do feel the one point that you made, Brett, I want to add, emphasize, ground ball pitchers, you know, I, I think sometimes people look at them above all else as, as the saviors. And I've even seen people, you know, I, I did a study a few years ago at my blog about this, and I kind of did a corollary of fantasy value. I think it was strikeout rates, home run rates, and ground ball rates. And... Of the three, ground ball rates had the lowest corollary by far of fantasy value, you know, to, to high ground ball rates, which I thought was somewhat intuitive. 
But I think for some people, the way they talk about ground ball rates, they're surprised by that. You know, just just to look at this year's top ten ground ball guys among qualifiers, you've got some guys with some stellar ERAs. You, you've got Tim Hudson, you've got Sonny Gray, you've got Keuchel, you've got Tyson Ross, who, who's getting hit a bit around now as I talk about him. You've got Charlie Morton, but you've also got Jared Cozart. You've got Brandon McCarthy, you've got Zach Wheeler, and you've got Justin Masterson. So you do have to be careful with ground ball guys. They don't all necessarily, you know, make it or excel. And, you know, Brett, you're absolutely right. Like, how many guys in, in the history or in the last few years have been able to just live off of pinpoint control? There's a few. It's just a very difficult thing to sustain. So, yeah, I agree with all of your points. And, I think in general, you have to be really careful looking at a ground ball rate and expecting great things just because of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I still have this ground ball rate leaderboard up, and you know, it, it, it's you know, I, I I like it because not not because I like to rely on guys who are extreme ground ballers, but because I, I like to see improvements in ground ball rates from guys who already get strikeouts. That's you know that that's sort of the the difference there and and you know running down this list there's a lot of Derek Lowe there's a lot of Brandon Webb who was great there's there's Roberto Hernandez there's there's some Tim Hudson Jake Westbrook Chinming Wong uh, yeah Trevor Cahill there's 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 Tyson Ross from this year <laughs> which is which is super interesting he's got a sixty one point one percent ground ball rate. Um, and then Justin Masterson, Joel Pinero, Mark Mulder. It's a you know there's it's it's a lot of guys who are uh, not going to carry a fantasy staff. You know, as an aside, did, did you see Ross's uh, outing against the oh, who was his last outing against? Was it against the Mets or was it somebody else? Yeah, I, I don't think I did. No, but Ross's last outing, the opposing broadcasters. They were doing, you know, the pitch count. I think he threw about fifty nine percent sliders. They, they were, they were like, I've never seen wow. anything like this before. Like, I've just never seen this approach where it's like just, you know, slider, 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 slider. Oh, fastball, you know, slider, slider. It was just, it was. I'm just. They were flabbergasted. Did, did their did their arms hurt watching it? I don't think they made that remark, but I think that was the implication. Yeah, my my arm hurts just hearing about it. Yeah, me too. That's that's yeah. a lot of damn sliders, man. Uh, all right, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a name that I think we need to talk about just because uh, we we need to talk about him. Uh, it's Justin Verlander. He, you know, we're recording this Monday night. He had another terrible start tonight against Kansas City, and it's it's. You know, it's not that it wasn't concerning before. You know, a week a week or two ago, but you know, the the concern is is amplified, and we we sort of have to decide where we where we are on him. Um, I am uh, I am not giving up on him. I uh, I still think he's going to have a stretch of very strong performance this year because. Uh, because he's Justin Verlander, and because he's he's earned that, and because I it, I don't think he is uh, I don't think he is hurt. So you know the 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 velocity is slightly down, but it's not 
it's not hugely down. He's, he's not getting strikeouts recently. And, you know, clearly that is a, clearly that is an issue because one of the reasons why you draft a Justin Verlander is to get a whole mess of strikeouts. I mean, even last year in a, uh, even last year in a you know, somewhat down season, he still struck out just about a batter an inning. He, he struck out 217 guys in 218 and a third. This year, it's 67 and 91 and two thirds innings. So his strikeout rate is is dropped from uh, what is it? Where, where's the percentages? It's dropped from 23.5% to 16.5%, which is the lowest it's been since 2006. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I would actually be looking to buy Verlander at this point in, in leagues just because I think the person who owns him is... <laughs> I think the person who owns him is just... Uh, is, is losing their mind at this point. So... Um, what uh, what do you guys uh, what do you guys think about this, Mike? Uh, I think that Veerlander, it, it's kind of tough. I'm, I'm of two minds with Veerlander. I'm I'm of one mind where I I think that you're right. I, I think he's earned some some latitude with us, and I, I think that we should have some trust in him. But I also think that it's possible that he might not be the same pitcher this year, and I don't expect him to be as bad as he's been. But we've seen seasons like this from pitchers where, you know, I'm trying to remember what year it was. You know, this goes back like a couple decades, but there was a, a point in Roger Clemens's career, you know, before his time with the Blue Jays, where he, he just looked like he completely lost it with the Red Sox. And it was funny because it was some of the same things you were describing. It wasn't like his velocity was way down. He didn't look hurt. But pitches that hitters at one point just weren't hitting, they were teeing off. Like They, they just kind of were figuring him out. And I kind of see the same thing with Veerlander that I saw in Clemens way back then. Like He doesn't look upset. Like He isn't beating himself up. He almost looks kind of curious where he's like, wow, like, these guys are hitting pitches that they were hitting before, and I don't get it. And I think that's the problem. I, I don't know if there's an easy fix. Like, I, I don't know if there's something, because Veerlander isn't necessarily doing anything wrong, because the velocity isn't way down, because it isn't a pitch that they're specifically teeing off on. I think he should be fine because all this stuff is very good. I just don't know if he will be. So I might buy on him if the price were right. I just don't necessarily have a confidence in him that he's the first guy I'd seek out to, to fix my staff. I need a pitcher. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. I don't think he'd be the first guy I'd seek out, but I, I think, I think from, from a value perspective, I think, uh, I think it's, it's an, it, it's becoming an attractive proposition. Well, yeah, it depends on his owner too. I mean, if you, if you have an owner who has had him and is kind of sick of him and is like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm done. Like if you'll give me, you know, I don't know, a second tier hitter for him. Like, I'm trying to have a good example, but, you know, you, you'll give me a, a Justin Morneau and, and throw me a, a pitcher. You know, I, that you obviously, I think, would have to take. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, 
I mean, at this point, it is, it is about buying value with Justin Verlander, which is a sentence that I never really thought I'd, I'd mention with him. But there are, there are some things that are, that are kind of scary, you know, from my perspective. It's not so much that the, the strikeout rate has fallen. That walk rate is coming, creeping back up, like, to around four walks per nine innings. It's, 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 it's creeping back up there. And it's, you know, to me, that kind of sounds or it describes a guy who's trying to nibble because he doesn't trust his stuff. Now it's but something that that I definitely want to watch for a little bit more. Uh, it, it, it's you know I'm still I still believe in Justin Verlander, but I you know my confidence is definitely shaken in him um, to to the point where like I I wouldn't I'm not knocking down the door to get Justin Verlander, but it would have to be the right deal at the right time, and it it, it would be something I'm pursuing, but it's not it's not something I would be overly aggressive on. All right. So, do we have? Uh, are there other guys you want to throw out as sort of uh, quick hits before we uh, before we close up, or uh, anyone uh, anyone uh, of interest? Anybody see? Did anybody see what Alfredo Simon is doing coming? Did anybody see that coming? Nope. All right. He can't. No, no, what's interesting about Simon is I I think that. I always liked him as a bullpen arm, and if you had told me that he was going to be putting up numbers this good in the pen, I might have bought it. If you told me he could sustain as a starter, I would have laughed at you. Didn't didn't he kill a guy? I I think you're thinking of someone else, aren't you? I, I you might be, although I, I I'm going to be safe from a, a legal perspective and say no. Okay. I feel. I feel like if that were the case, we'd be hearing more about that. I don't know. Wait. Google gotta, says. Google says suspect of killing a man at a New Year's Eve party. Google says kill the guy, right? No, suspected. Suspected. So he. So he. Ray Lewis killed the guy. <laughs> dude, dude, we're gonna. Dude, 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 we're gonna get called on the carpet for this. I, I'm. Management's gonna come down on us, Brett. Huh? I said management's going to come down on us. <laughs> yeah. They're going to send Alfredo Simon after you, Brett. Oh, I don't want any part of Alfredo Simon. <laughs> I don't know. You know, the, the guy, if we're going to talk about somebody that, that fascinates me, you know, just a quick hit, it's, it's Phil Hughes. And he, he's somebody I was, I was just wrong on. I, I really thought that he'd be a head case anywhere. And so far, it, it's kind of that Whitson thing where outside of New York, he's. You know, he was. Yeah, I mean, he was good in New York for a little while, but he just looks like a different pitcher. I mean, he kind of looks like the guy we thought he would look like. Um, one guy who I want to mention uh, is sort of an obvious name, but I, I think we, uh, <laughs> I think we need to uh, kind of at least see where where he fits in, and that, that's Masahiro Tanaka. He, uh, you know, clearly he was better than. Than I think anyone thought he was going to be coming into the season. Even, you know, even the most optimistic projections did not have him as the most valuable pitcher in the American League. But it's uh, it's really been it's been really fun to watch. And I don't, you know, I'm I'm not quite ready to uh, I'm not quite ready to throw the fantasy ace tag on him now. But I, I might be in another. I might be in another couple of months. I, I tend to be a little more reserved about uh, 
about international imports and, and judging them based on their first, you know, two to three months of performance. But uh, he's been yeah, as, as good as they've come recently. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's hard not to put the ace tag on him. I, he's going to have some adjustments down the stretch, but I, to me, based on what he's done so far, I, I think he's earned it. The only thing that's keeping the ace tag off of me for him is the innings. When he when he gets to two hundred innings, and I'll I'll slap it on. But he's been great. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. Yeah, I'm sorry I have much more to add to that, but he he has just been tremendous. You know, I was trying to find somebody in the National League because we've most of what we talked about you know, outside of Simon has has been. Uh, pitchers in in the American League. So I was trying to see if there's somebody interesting. There's you know, Jason. One, How about Josh? Guy, well, yeah, Hamill. You know, one guy that jumped out at me just as a quick hit. You know, Kyle Loesch is a guy at this point. I think we look at him every year as as a guy who isn't gonna you know isn't gonna get the job done, or he's kind of just a, a borderline guy. I mean, he's he's done it now for like three or four years in a row. So you're you're really looking at somebody who. Average salary is six dollars in the NL only expert leagues I track on pace to earn like twenty five. I, I mean, he just—he's been doing this pitching at this level for like three or four years. He's going to slip a little bit, but I don't think he's going to slip as much as some people think. All right. Speaking of National League pitchers, uh, Josh Beckett's been fantastic, um, and. Uh, you know he's been he's been particularly interesting to to watch just because you know he's he's putting up stats that are not so dissimilar from his uh, from his heyday, and uh, he he looks he looks healthy he looks he looks strong and he looks like he's finally settled in with that new approach of his where he's not just trying to blow everyone away with his fastball. Um, so it seems like the, uh, the, the Dodgers have gotten the, uh, the positive effects of, uh, of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's, uh, that's really everyone I was thinking about. Johnny Cueto is good. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think that's all I have. I didn't really have anyone else. Same. Imperative to speak about. Definitely the same. All right, so let's take a uh, break and then we'll come back and uh, close up shop. Thank you for listening to. Uh, Flags Fly Forever. We've been a Baseball Perspectives Fantasy Podcast. Uh, I have been Brett Sayer, and you've been listening to Mike Ginella and Mauricio Rubio. Uh, we will be back next week with another pod. Uh, if you want to uh, email us ideas of stuff to cover or questions you have for us, uh, you can reach us at Flags Fly Forever at baseballperspectives.com. 
Uh, and you can read all of us at baseballperspectus.com where you should sign up to be a member today. You sign up for a premium membership, you get 20% off an MLB TV, uh, MLB TV package, which uh, essentially pays for itself. And you should do that now before the season gets uh, too far in the books. Then uh, if you sign up for a super premium membership, you get access to the bat signal and you can ask us all kinds of fantasy baseball questions and otherwise. You would be amazed at the things that people ask us on the bat signal. It is fantastic. It's a great tool. Everyone likes it. Um, And uh, if you play Daily Fantasy, you should come and play against us. Uh, We will... uh, we will. We generally post when we are uh, playing, what leagues we are playing in. And if you are new to Daily Fantasy and want to sign up, uh, sign up using the coupon code BP, and you will get a special surprise. And uh, that is it for uh, for this week. It uh, is always a pleasure and. Uh, again, if you live in or near Washington, D.C., uh, follow pretty much anyone at Baseball Prospectus on Twitter this weekend to find out where we are going to be hanging out because we will be all over Washington, D.C. Um, on that note, assuming we all survive a weekend with Craig, we will see you next week. See you later. Bye. Bye. We begin with Craig. Sounds intimate.